Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. So September is a month of birthday for us and the Bacon household. September 2nd was my mother's birthday. It's hard to believe. Do do I look like I have a 76-year-old mom? (laughs) It's a good thing she's in Africa. Can't get to me. My birthday, yes, you would smack me, but I'd tell her I'd I'd run her anyway, so it doesn't matter. My birthday was uh, this past Monday, so that was exciting. Yeah, September 10th. Yeah. 49, which means I'm on my 50th circle around the sun. It's my golden circle. So that'll be fun. See how that goes. And then tomorrow is my son Christian's birthday, and uh, he'll be 22. Here's a crazy thing. Christian was born a week to the day after me. So I was born the 10th. He was born the 17th. I was born in 1969, and he was born in 1996. Isn't that weird, huh? thing about Christian and his birthday is that he's in college right now and he shares an apartment kind of thing with, with these uh, five other guys. It's a three-bedroom apartment where they share in college and they have two per room. And two of the other guys share his exact same birthday. You ever heard that? So that means three of the six were all born on September 17th. That's weird. But I shouldn't be surprised because uh, his mother, my wife, Shannon, she, her roommate in college, also shared her exact birthday, too. I like to say, your roommate before me uh, shared her exact birthday, which I guess it must be a family thing. And so, being on my birthday is kind of getting me thinking about family, thinking about roots. One of the things that uh, is a new phenomenon right now is that everyone's pretty impressed by my last name, Bacon. I mean, I get a lot. Man, that's an awesome last name. Why? Because bacon's a thing right now. Everything is better with bacon. You buy all these bacon logos. You buy all these bacon stuff. I mean, bacon is sweet, right? So uh, everyone likes it that I'm called bacon, but what they don't realize is that bacon is a name that was given to me through adoption. Yeah. My mom, my biological mom, married my dad when I was seven years old. She met her in church, met him in church. Apparently, the story is that that she went to church. She was a new Christian. She looked across the way, saw this little bald-headed English guy with blue eyes named Jim Bacon, and she goes, I will marry him. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Something like that. Anyway, that's the legend. (laughs) So they were married when I was seven years old, and uh, at that time, after a year, my dad approached me, my mom, dad, but my dad approached me and said, okay, would you like to have the name Bacon? Would you like to be adopted? And I said, yes. And guess what the date was when my adoption came through and was finalized? September 7th. That's kind of weird. So September is not only my birthday, but it's also my adoption day. My adoption day. The day in which I went from a a son, I went from a boy without a a dad to a, a son with a father, I went from one who did not share the name of the family to one who now was part of the family because we had one name to live under, uh, to uh, one who didn't have the benefits and stability of a two-parent household to one that did. 
a boy who was able to enjoy the protections and the provisions of a father. My life entered into a different trajectory that it was heading on before I was adopted to a new trajectory that placed me actually right here. If it wasn't for my, my dad and what he did and, and the steps of faith that he took, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And so this concept of adoption really runs deep with me. It runs deep with me, and it's amazing to read then, as I read through Scripture, it's amazing to find that the same concept runs throughout what we call the good news, what we call the message of Jesus through the Bible, because the message is a message of adoption. It goes, those of us who are far off, those of us who are not members of the family of God, because of the Son of God and because of what the Son of God, Jesus, who came into the world did, sorting out the legal requirements necessary for us to be adopted, providing a way by which we could be made right with God and therefore now move from enemies of God to actually being children of God, sons and daughters of God, who share the inheritance that the Son, Jesus, gave to us. Because of Jesus, we are now invited in and have a way to be part of the family of God. Adoption. Every one of us who are Jesus followers in the church today, you and me both, are adopted, adopted by a Heavenly Father, by faith. And when we came into the family because someone who was a member, a already adopted person in Christ, a now person we call our brother and sister, that person met us in our life and shared with us the good news, provided the means in which God was able to invite us in, and we said yes by faith. And when we brought into the family of God then, as a family member, we were assigned family chores, and the family chore and the family business is for us to then do the same thing that we were blessed with, tell others about Jesus and be part of the work and provide that inv invitation to those whom we encounter. That, that, that in the, really, is a nutshell, is the, the summary of the good news of the Bible. And you get the emotion and you get the appreciation and you get the, just the, the feeling of all that I've described to you captured in the verses that I'm about to share with you that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man whom we say it was his son in the faith, a man that he invested in, in training him up to be a Jesus follower, a young man named Timothy who had been adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus, was trained up through the mentorship or shepherding of Paul, and now was living out his assignment by being a servant of the church at Ephesus, you get this, this emotion of adoption in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking into today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions, right, these directives that refer to the stuff he's been talking about in chapter 1 and 2, and it will be the stuff he talks into the subsequent chapters. But he says, I'm taking this moment here to, to let you know that I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, if I'm unable to get to you as I intended, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, beyond all question. 
The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. You know, now that I've had a number of birthdays, and the reality is, is that I probably have less birthdays in front of me than birthdays behind me, birthdays have become kind of a, a milestone moment in life. And those milestone moments that we all have in life, whether it be a birthday, an anniversary, whether it be a significant promotion or whatever, we have milestone moments that provide opportunities for us to sit back and go, wow. And though we're, and if we're children of God, we, we've been saved by grace. We live under the, the umbrella of God treats me better than I deserve. Those milestone moments serve as opportunities for, for gratitude and thanksgiving, right? At a birthday, we can say, I'm thankful for all the people that love me, and I'm thankful for all the, the blessings that I've received over the years of my life. Anniversary, we can say, well, she, she definitely is evidence that God treats me better than I deserve because she's... She loves me as, my, as, as, as her husband, and I can love her as my wife. I mean, even, even in those difficult times, those milestone moments where we lose something, where, where something passes on or, or something that comes to an end, those milestone moments as we live in this position of grace, we can turn those into moments of gratitude because we can reflect, wow, I, I miss that person now that they're gone but I'm so thankful they were in my life. Wow, this season is coming to an end, and I'm so grateful for the, for the blessings, and I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Milestone moments create opportunity to give thanks, and I think, I think Paul was trying to create a milestone moment for the church in Ephesus by his communication through Timothy. I think Paul was becoming aware that the church in Ephesus needed to pause as he was giving his instructions, as he was running through the to-do list, as he was talking about what it means to be a Jesus follower in the context that they lived in, I think he had to take this moment to, to create a milestone moment, to create a, a pause by which he could reiterate, he could reiterate what they had reason to give thanks for as Jesus followers and as members of the church. Now, you can pick this up in his language because his language is, in these verses is so power-packed and rich. Let's just take notice of what he says about them as the church, which means he's saying the same thing to us today as members of the church as well. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. He calls them God's household. See, to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ means I'm a member of God's household. Paul says, everything I'm telling you, everything I'm communicating to you, Timothy, to take to the people, the church in Ephesus, everything I'm telling you is instruction on how we as Jesus followers, as members of God's household, ought to behave, ought to conduct ourselves. And he's not talking about how we behave in church, he's talking about how we behave as the church. There's a difference there. The church is God's household, God's family. What do we have right here? Adoption talk, right? Adoption talk. How do we become the family of God? Through the work of Jesus. 
We are God's household. We are God's family. The church is God's household, God's family. We were adopted through faith in Christ. Tim Keller has a way of saying it that I really appreciate. He said, being adopted into the family of God means we are loved like Christ is loved. It means we are honored like he is honored. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances help you understand and even claim the full power and potential of that promise. The more you live your adopted identity in Christ, the more you become like him in actuality. This is not a promise of better life circumstances. It is the promise of a far better life. It's a promise of a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is a life that goes on forever. We are God's household, but he keeps adding on which is the church of the living God, he says. We are members of God's household. We have been adopted into the family of God. And then he says, which is the church of the living God. As a member of the church of Jesus Christ means I'm one of the called out ones or the called ones of the living God. I'm going to spend some time here explaining what I mean by that. See, the Bible word for church does not mean building or location or event. Now, we use that that way, right? This is the church. I'm going to the church. What do we mean? We're going to this building. Where are you going on Sunday morning? I'm going to church. What do we refer to? A event or location. Now, those are all factors of our life in, in faith. But the reality is, is that that's not what the Bible word for church means. The Bible word for church literally means called out ones. In other words, church... It's not a building or a location or an event. Church is a people who have responded to the call of God and said, yes, by faith, I will become a people and a community, and I will commit myself to living in honor of that calling. What makes this place holy has nothing to do with the presence of God here at this altar. There is no altar. The altar is the heart of every believer where the Spirit of God dwells, you and me. What makes this place holy is when we walk in here. Now that we're talking church. Church is about men and women as we look into the letter of Timothy, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. We look at the instruction of what it means to men and women called to prayer, called to live a life characterized by good works, a call to live day by day relying on God's Holy Spirit, called to submit to oneself, to God's word and God's will. And I love how this concept of being called out ones kind of fits beautifully with another common image of the church, the church being a flock, as in a flock of sheep, sheep who are led by shepherds. God is our good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. And Paul will say the, good, the sheep are led by the shepherd. And the good shepherd assigns, lack of a better way of saying, under shepherds, leaders within the body who serve on behalf of the good shepherd and are called to be good shepherds, shepherding the flock, watching over them, leading them. 
to life. See, the role of a Middle Eastern shepherd was not to drive his flock with dogs and horses. No, the role of the Middle Eastern shepherd was to love on his flock, and the sheep would respond to his voice. Don't you remember what Jesus said? My sheep know me and know my voice and come when I call because I'm the good shepherd. Remember that image? Well, that works beautifully in Middle Eastern culture. Why? Because the shepherd led, and the sheep followed by listening to the voice of the shepherd. And good shepherds protected and provided for their sheep. Well, that's the image of the church. We are called ones by the good shepherd. And the good shepherd has assigned shepherds to serve on his behalf, under-shepherds. And these under-shepherds, the role in that office of the under-shepherds is described for us earlier in chapter 3 when Paul talks to Timothy, hey, I want you in this church to assign individuals to serve as elders or overseers. The word can be translated bishops. And their job is to be under-shepherds in, in, in providing the oversight and the care and the direction of the church. And they're to be characterized in their life by how they live faithfully to Jesus. Not only are they the the shepherds, but then there's also this identification of another leadership position in the church simply called deacons. And deacon refers to service. Individuals who give themselves to serving others in the church. In other words, the church is a place for servant leaders. It's not a place for bosses. It's a place for servant leaders, shepherds and servant leaders. Now, while not all of us will be called to the office of elder, not all of us will be called to the office of deacon in this context, I believe every single one of us are called to be good sheep and a good shepherd. All of us are called to serve. All of us are called to serve others and to give ourselves as good sheep. But also we're called to shepherd. What do you mean, Didi? I'm called to shepherd. You're called to shepherd because you will likely, in the course of your walk with Christ, have individuals who look to you to be the representation of Christ in the flesh. Parents will have children who they're called to train up in the Lord. That's shepherding. Seasoned Christians will have newer Christians who they have familiarity or connected with in relationship who they will give themselves to mentor and to shepherd and to disciple. You, in the course of your walk with Christ, will have individuals that will look to you, look to you to see what it means, to understand how it works to be a Jesus follower. You will be called the shepherd. That's how it's called to be work in the church. And we're called to be good sheep and good shepherd. See, I believe every one of us in the church are called to serve and are called to shepherd. We're called to mentor in Christ and to be mentored. We're called to bless and we're called to be blessed. To give grace and to receive grace, to disciple and to be discipled, to pray and to be prayed for, to give with joy and to receive with thanksgiving. As a member of the church of Jesus, we are called ones by the living God. Paul continues on. That's what he says. And he says, as the church, we're the pillar and foundation of the truth. Again, using an imagery, a picture here of a pillar and a foundation, imagery that, can, that brings up the idea of stability and strength. 
that it evokes confidence. As a member of the church of Jesus Christ, your life is built on the solid rock, the truth of Jesus, which then is like a pillar and a foundation by which you can live, which provides confidence, stability, and strength. And those things are made manifest, made known during the storms, right? During the storms. And, and I've seen this in the course of my, my ministry years here. I, I've seen this happen. Those who are members of the church of Jesus Christ who have grounded her life on the truth. Christian woman who was abandoned by her husband in a nasty divorce. We'll say through that terrible time, I grew more and more in love with God and dependent on Him. A Christian man diagnosed with cancer who doesn't become bitter, but actually becomes better in terms of his love for God and dependence and faith. A Christian entrepreneur, a man who had a dream of building a business that would be God-honoring, year after year failing, year after year struggling, year after year uh, just barely making ends meet, living perhaps below the poverty line with his family. And when all things came together, when all things came into place and the business boomed and exploded and, and all of a sudden they turned from, from, from poverty to, to wealth financially, didn't say, well, I, I, it was because of me. Oh, it was because of what I had done. No, simply say it was because of God. Why? Because he was grounded on the truth. Seen a mother who was afraid for his son, her son's faith. Cry out to God, God, please take him before he turns away from you. And God answered her prayer. And through that difficult time that forced her to pray a prayer that no mother ever wants to pray, she prayed it because she was grounded in the truth, a pillar and foundation. In the course of serving the church, I've seen many in the church stand strong in the midst of the storms because their house was built on a rock, grounded by grace, holding on to Jesus, anchored, pillared, founded on the truth. Paul goes on to say, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Now, that word mystery, it means that which is hidden. A mystery is a problem that's yet to be solved, right? A question yet to be answered. It's a mystery. We don't see it. It's hidden. It's, it's, it's unseen. But the way Paul uses the word mystery, what he really is saying is that which was once unseen. He's referring to a mystery in, he's using the word in terms of a problem that has been solved, a secret that has been shared, something that was in the dark but now is in the light. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the mystery of godliness, which is now made known how the way to be made right with God has been solved. Who has solved it? How has it been solved? One simple answer, Jesus. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And I want you to notice, if you look at those, verse, those, those lines, and you look at line four and line five, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, what you're going to notice is that those lines refer to who? 
It's the work of Jesus, but that work has been done through an instrument of his, his body. Who's the body of Christ? The body of Christ is the church. That is, in other words, the work of God is being done through those who follow him faithfully as the church. The household of God, the cold ones of the living God, sheep and shepherd, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Because that's how... Jesus is preached among the nations and believed on in the world. See, church is about being faithful to the call that God has received. God has given to us to take the redemption plan to the world. And so that's why I say in the outline, you can fill this in. By being a member of the church of Jesus Christ means being invited to work God's plan for the redemption of the world. Just let that sit for a moment. So I've been saying something over and over just recently, particularly as we've been working as a church, adding a service, moving forward, strategic plans, thinking about what we will be like in, in, in 2021 and where God is leading us and being open to that direction. One thing that I keep saying is, is that the work of grace involves not only being saved, but it also be, means being a means of salvation. In other words, we are grace recipients. We're also called to be grace givers, Right? As members of the church, we're blessed with family chores. Tomorrow's my, my son's birthday, and uh, one of the things I miss about him being at college is that uh, he loves to mow the grass. <laughs> so in the summer, I don't have to worry about mowing the grass because the kid does it for me. He loves to do it. He doesn't do it without complaint. And he does it beautifully. He really loves straight lines. Now, when I mow, I don't care. All over. But Christian likes straight lines. And in fact, we'll come back after he's mowed, and Shannon and I will look at it, and Shannon will be like, oh, the grass is just so beautiful. And I'll be like, whatever. <laughs> so beautiful. Now, I wonder where that love for mowing the grass comes from. Well, the love for mowing the grass comes from the fact that it began as a family chore. When he was a little guy, he wanted to mow the grass with his dad. He wanted to do it himself. And I invited him in. In fact, Shannon took a picture of it, and here it is. That's Christian and I. Uh, <laughs> you look at that face. I mean, he believes he's mowing the grass. And he believes he's doing it in the way he's supposed to, right? Now, we look at that picture and we realize, okay, really dad's providing pretty much everything for this experience, right? Dad's invited him in and he thinks he's mowing the grass, but really it's done by the power of dad. Dad's pushing the mower. Dad's operating the machine. Dad's directing where it needs to go so that we can mow the grass, right? But as far as Christian's concerned, that little boy, that little boy believes he's mowing the grass. And while he understands, and maybe, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, he believes he's invited into something in which he's tapped into the power of dad, but he's also doing something himself. In other words, this experience, Christian is a part and a partner. Get it? He's a part and a partner. That's how God's grace works for us as members of the church. Our Father in heaven invites us to be part and partner. As a member of the church of Jesus Christ means I'm a part and a partner. 
a part and a partner in his great work of redemption to the world. Paul, describing how God set up and works through the church, said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Take note of this last line, as each part does its work. What is he saying? He's saying the source and power of growth for the church is its connection to the head, which is Jesus. In other words, when we are rooted, the tree is rooted in Christ, it results in fruit being produced, which we can call growth. When we are plugged into the resources that God provides by being obedient as individuals in the collection of the church in our calling for ministry, when we do that, we plug into the power of Jesus that creates growth, the supernatural ability that fills the gaps that we have in our life and allows us to be able to be transformational in our relationships in sharing the good news in the way that God has gifted us with others. We live a life of love, loving God, loving people. And, and the means of activation is that we're a part of the work of God, but we're also a partner. That's what that means when it says, as each part does its work. The activation of the work of God in the church is when each member takes responsibility and says, I will do my part. I will say yes to my assignment. I'm not going to complain that I'm overqualified for that. I'm not going to be uh, objecting to, to the fact that they're not asking me to do this, that, or the other. No, I'm going to say yes to the call. I'm going to be a good sheep and a good shepherd. I'm going to cooperate and give myself to submit day-to-day, -day, walking by the power of God as he calls me in my day-to-day -day living, not only as an individual, but also as a member of the church. That's what it means to be part of the church. I'm a part and a partner. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. I wonder why Paul wrote those things. I mean, why did he write them to Timothy to tell the church in Ephesus? Well, obviously, there was an issue there that he needed to address. And the issue was the church was losing its way. They were losing confidence. They were lacking appreciation for who they were in Christ. Something was going on that was distracting from them. Maybe they started to believe that they deserved to be a member of God's household. I give every week. I deserve to receive what I receive. The church is lucky to have me. Now, we may not say that, but we act like it sometimes. Maybe they needed to be reminded that the church is a gift undeserved and a responsibility unearned. Just remember that. Being a member of the church is a gift undeserved. It's an act of grace and a responsibility unearned. You, you didn't qualify because you had everything God required for you to do what he's called you to do. Now, that's what spiritual gifts are called, right? Part and partner. 
Maybe he needed to remind the church at Ephesus, as he's maybe reminding us, that to be part of the church means to be part of God's plan A. Plan A meaning me and you are involved in this redemption work of salvation in the world. The church is not a members-only club. The church is not an event or a show. The church is the family and household of God, the community of the called by the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the way Jesus would save the world. Church is a place where we can belong as a part and as a partner. So what do you think about church? How do you feel about church? That's the question I think we all need to ask. That's the challenge I think the scripture brings us to. That's an opportunity for us to take this, this, this moment, this significant moment, and put some reflection on it and say, whoa, wait a minute, what is, what is, what, what, who are we? Household of God. Called ones, sheep and shepherds. Pillar and foundation of the truth. Called to do our part in God's great redemption plan to the world part and partners by the Spirit of God and living by faith. Oh, I'm not qualified. Oh, that's for someone else to do. Oh, I don't have time. The Word of God is true or it's not. It's true, I'm telling you. You just have to submit to that. Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. Opportunity for us to do some reflection, ask God's Spirit to speak to us. If you have a desire to pray with someone in person, I encourage you to come forward. We have a couple of guys that will be here to share with you, um, pray with you in person if you need, members of our prayer team, elders. Let's pray. After we pray, we will uh, close by reciting that common confession that we find in 1 Timothy 3.16. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity where you can be here. Speak to us, Lord, by your spirit. Help us to evaluate our viewpoint. How do, we, how do we treat church? What do we think about church? What is it to us? Have we made it a building? Have we made it just an event? Have we made it something that we feel like we are members that deserve a service? How is it different than what the image that, that Scripture tells us, the truth tells us? And how do we need to change and, and reorientate our way and attitude and prayer life and decisions. Lord, help us all to be so grateful that we're now members of the family of God to recognize that we all have been adopted by God through Jesus and appreciate the one name we live under and the household we're a part of and the chores that we've been assigned. Help us to think that through and to reflect on that, discuss that, to Strive to bring from our head to our heart to our hands the truth of the Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's say it together. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.